This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Statsman and AJ Rotowire's Hockey Podcast Show. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My partner on these pods, as always, is AJ Scholz, and you can follow him at AJ Scholz24. That's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z-2-4. AJ was quite busy at least one day last week, and I can't wait to hear about the event. Partner, why don't you tell us about what went on for you? Yeah, so I recently skied the uh, American Birkebeiner. It's a 50-kilometer uh, cross-country ski race. That's 31 miles for our friends south of the border here. Uh, finished it in 7 hours and 31 minutes, uh, just 29 minutes clear of the cutoff. Uh, definitely one of the most challenging things I've ever done. Uh, but perhaps more importantly, uh, I raised $1,500 uh, in the fight against ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. I uh, had several... Uh, podcast listeners support me as well and that's really appreciated uh paul you obviously chipped in uh as well so all the support was really helpful out on the trails uh definitely tried to keep me motivated to to get in uh, just by the skin of my teeth uh before that uh final cutoff so uh before the rest of the show just remind our listeners that throughout the week if you have questions about your lineups fantasy hockey or just hockey in general you can tweet at us. We'll try and answer your questions during uh, the week or in one of our shows. As Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJScholes24, and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. All right. On today's podcast, we're going to review the transactions that took place in advance of yesterday's trade deadline. The trade started to pile up over the weekend and continued right through the deadline yesterday at 3 p.m. and even beyond because of the lineup at the uh, trade window at the NHL off headquarters. They involved a lot of players who we discussed on last week's show, so that's good on us. Today, we're very fortunate to take a look at some of these moves and break them down for you with the help of uh, one of the Hall of Famers that is in my role at X, maybe the only one, Jimmy. Uh, the senior vice president of the Detroit Red Wings, Jimmy DeVolano, is with us today, a man who has had a hand in seven Stanley Cup championships during his Hall of Fame career. Welcome to back to the show, Jimmy. Thank you, Paul. All right. Uh, I know there's work to be done in the front office all year round, but when and how does the focus shift to the trade deadline? How much? How many weeks of preparation went into this part of the the whole thing? Well, really, you know, uh, for us, 
class, the Detroit Red Wings, uh, really we don't focus so much on the deadline as to always trying to improve your team, and it can happen at any time. Earlier in the year, actually, our general manager, Ken Holland, traded a, one of our players, Riley Sheehan, uh, to Pittsburgh for a third-round pick, so that happened probably in early November, and then uh, we traded uh, a player, Greg Wilson, to Buffalo for a fifth-round pick, and that happened pretty early. And then, of course, as the deadline approached, you start to get more interest from other teams because by that time, uh, nearing the end of February, they know their needs either to make the playoffs to, or to try to improve them uh, when they do get there. So then we were able to make uh, a trade for Peter Morazic to Philadelphia for draft choices. They, they had run into both their goaltenders had got hurt, so they had a, a real need for a goaltender. So we were able to trade Peter Morazic to Philadelphia, and then uh, right at the deadline, uh, Las Vegas uh, uh, wanted to add another veteran scorer, and so they uh, got Thomas Tatar for us for three future draft picks. So. That's how it all kind of came together for us with the Red Wings. Now, you mentioned the Tatar deal, uh, Jimmy. Uh, it was the biggest news coming out of Detroit yesterday, and it was quite a haul, as you uh, implied, with the three picks coming your way. How quickly did that deal uh, turn up for the Red Wings? Can you talk about that? Yeah, it, 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 it really happened quickly. There were other teams that had interest in and Thomas Tatar. We had long talks with Nashville. We had talks with San Jose. They had some interest. But uh, as Ken uh, reached out to various teams, George McPhee was looking for somebody that had some veteran presence who could also score uh, a little bit. And uh, so, of course, Ken. Ken brought Tatar's name up, and then they were able to they were able to make a deal. So uh, you see, Las Vegas have a lot of draft picks. They have a lot of picks that they picked up from teams uh, in the expansion draft for teams to lay off of players. George acquired picks, so he he had a lot of picks. So he was really in a position to do what he did with Detroit and we believe it will help us for the future. And meanwhile, Thomas Tatar will help Las Vegas right now. And the fact also that Tatar has four years remaining on his contract was very appealing to George because he's not going to have to. He's acquired a player who now is signed for an additional four years. So good for Las Vegas, and, and we believe good for the Detroit Red Wings. Now, Jimmy, we also look at the goaltending situation. You talked about dealing one of the three guys that's really in the mix when I include Jared Corot, a pretty fine prospect that I was impressed with when he was called up a bit last year. With the departure of Morazic, Jimmy Howard looks like the clear number one right now, but can you speak to what the team has seen out of Corot and how his development may have factored into the decision to move Morazic? 
Well, really, no, there was no factor. To, to be real candid and honest, it was not a factor. Uh, we have to get assets, so we are in a rebuild. And uh, so, really, that wasn't a factor. Uh, we were prepared to trade one of our two goaltenders, Jimmy Howard or Morazic, uh, for, for, for futures. Uh, uh, we would have expected a bit higher return for Howard because he's more established and had been around a longer time than Morazic. And um, so the way it turned out was that Philly wanted to make a soft deal. Uh, and so it was easier for them to do Morazic. It was a little easier for to give give him up. And uh, so that's how that uh, that was accomplished. Now in Coro's case, Jared Coro, he's been our number one goaltender in Grand Rapids probably about four years now. So he will get his second opportunity to play some games and. Uh, this will be his chance maybe to try to break through. Jimmy, there's a, a lot of people in the war rooms, but I don't really have a sense for how many might be involved in the discussions on trade deadline day. Uh, you got pro scouts, you got amateur scouts. Uh, what? What's, can you talk to something about the dynamic? Is there a lot of discussion? Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's very easy. Uh, first of all, the amateur scouts uh, have no trade deadline has been something that I look forward to on the calendar every year. It's been happening for years and years, and the action seems to pick up right around 3 o'clock. Over your career, is there any one deal that stands out above all the others that you may have had a hand in, and do you recall some of the discussions that preceded that? The greatest deal that I ever had a hand in that had the biggest impact on me was uh, in 1980, March of 1980. I was general manager of the New York Islanders and her general manager made a trade at the deadline in 1980. He traded two real good Islander players, Billy Harris and Dave Lewis, to the Los Angeles Kings for Butch Goring. And Butch Goring came in, was the second center behind Brian Trache, and the Islanders would go on to win four straight Stanley Cups. In the second Stanley Cup, Butch Goring won the Smythe Trophy, and uh, there was nothing better than that trade. Yep, for Stanley Cups, he played a key role as the number two center sliding in behind Trotche, a key move, and he was speaking on the air during the broadcast for the trade deadline yesterday, so it's a neat tie-in that you bring that one up. It was very important, no question. Uh, as far as the timing goes, Jimmy, uh, with the way the trade deadline is placed in the NHL's calendar, there's about five or six weeks left until the playoffs. Do you think it's well-suited here, or would you prefer to be 
seeing the trade deadline a little bit earlier on the NHL calendar if you had your druthers? Uh, I never really thought much of it. Uh, I'm sure they put a lot of thought into it. Uh, you know, uh, it would be the league office, uh, the general managers. It, it may even have to be collectively bargained. I, I can't tell you. I'm not really sure about that. But maybe even the union would have some say in that. But I don't know that. But uh, I don't really have a problem with it. It's, it they pick a date, uh, and uh, we all sort of abide by it. And uh, and uh, that's kind of the way it is, Paul. And one final question, Jimmy. I guess the next important time horizon for the Wings and uh, many of the NHL. Uh, teams is the June draft. More people and more man hours of preparation for you and your colleagues around the league. With the number of pending free agents, uh, unrestricted free agents, and even some restricted ones, and maybe some unfinished business from yesterday around the league, do you expect there to be a lot more trading between now and June the 1st? Maybe more than we've seen in recent years? Uh, I I, I don't anticipate that, Paul. Um, I don't anticipate the draft is in Dallas this year, June 22nd. Um, no, I, I, I mean, there could be a trade or two. There always is, of course. But, um, you know, once the season's over, uh, a lot of teams then focus on the, on the entry draft. Uh, and, of course, that's where the amateur scouts now are involved and the pro scouts aren't involved. Very good. Jimmy, thank you for joining us on this special edition of the podcast. I know that you fit us in around a hectic time for you and your club as you dealt with this busy time of year on the on the calendar. We certainly want to thank you for sharing your unique insights about the trade deadline and particularly how it impacted the Red Wings. Thank you very much for coming on with us. Happy to do it. Thank you very much. Stay, stay well, Jimmy. We'll talk down the line, I hope. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Bye now. Well, wasn't that great, AJ? You can hear me again, right? Yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, we had a little bit of technical difficulty there, so we couldn't include AJ, but certainly you came up with some good questions, partner, and uh, I think Jimmy was pretty candid considering that uh, we didn't get him to talk about specific players, but he was quite willing to talk about his own club. Uh, pretty neat to get a Hall of Famer on the broadcast. Absolutely, yeah. It's a real pleasure to have him in. Kind of a, a unique insight that we... You know, us amateur uh, hockey observers don't really get to uh, get to see, you know, kind of the inner inner workings that uh, that he does. All right. As we said earlier, we're going to depart from our look at the 31 teams. Instead, let's focus on the trades uh, that did happen around the trade deadline. First of all, though, there were some waiver claims uh, of some notable players, I guess. AJ, we can skim through these. Of course, Mike Fisher stays on in Nashville. That was totally expected. Signing a contract for the balance of this season, he'll fit in as a fourth liner there. Philadelphia brings in Johnny Oduya from uh, from uh, a waiver claim. And Calgary, they needed help on the right wing. We've been talking about them all year long, AJ. And they brought in Chris Stewart to add some size and toughness, but also maybe a bit of a, more of a goal-scoring touch than they have on the starboard side. And then a minor move, uh, Colorado picked up defenseman Mark Alt. Do you want to comment about any of these moves? 
Uh, I think kind of the most interesting one is is the one that we knew was coming, the the Mike Fisher signing uh, with with Nashville there. Uh, they'll obviously get him uh, up to speed. They're heading out on a four-game road trip. I would expect him to kind of chip in at some point here um, during that trip, whether it's you know today or later, we'll see. But uh, I think that was the most interesting one. I kind of like that from a fantasy perspective. If, if you're late in the season and you really – are right in a fight and need a little bit of help, uh, you know, especially in a deeper league, you might want to give Mike Fisher a look because uh, if he's anywhere near the player he has been for the rest of his career, he definitely could add something down the stretch and should hopefully be fresh. All right, AJ, let's get into some of the deals that went down. We covered the first batch of last week's program, but now we have a whole bunch of them to get through. We'll talk even about some of the minor moves. Uh, first one that comes to mind is Nick Holden get, going to the Boston Bruins in exchange for Ryan O'Gara and a third round pick in 2018. The Bruins definitely stocking up for a, what they hope is an extended playoff run. We'll talk about the minefield that is the Atlantic Division in a bit with some of the moves that those three teams got involved with, uh, some heavyweights around the league. Holden was a nice move by the Boston Bruins getting a defenseman of some quality to fit into their top six. Yeah, I definitely like everything. Uh, as you said, we'll get into more of it, but I like everything Boston did. Uh, and this was a crucial piece. You know, they're, they're pretty young on that blue line uh, with the exception, obviously, of, of, of Chara. Um, but, you know, they've got some untested guys in, in Grizzly, Czech, uh, McAvoy, Carlo. And so to add, uh, you know, another guy with a little more experience, I think, is a key key pickup for them. All right, and beyond that, we get into some uh, other names and some other moves. Toronto was next up. They got a seventh-round pick in the 2020 draft for uh, Eric Fair. This was a a move to help a a good citizen of the National Hockey League, a veteran player, gets to extend his career. And the, the Leafs, what this move was about was freeing up uh, contract slot. They had 50 uh, players signed. That's the maximum you can have at the NHL and the minor league. So this was a chance to free up a spot. When they did this, I thought, okay, here goes. They're going to start moving players out so they can make a big splash. They didn't wind up doing so, but at least they helped, uh, like I said, a good citizen out by moving him to the San Jose uh, Sharks to see if he can extend his NHL career. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he was still carrying a a $2 million cap hit there as well. So um, good business by them. The Sharks don't really lose anything. I mean, by the time you get to the seventh, (laughs) seventh round, uh, you're, it's kind of just a crapshoot. <laughs> you know, you hope to hit on a guy, get lucky. Um, but more often than not, I, I think you're just shooting shooting in the dark, really. Yeah. And uh, another example of teams beefing up for the playoffs was the next trade. I was kind of surprised Montreal got rid of uh, defensive prospect Jakob Jerebek. This is a Montreal club that should be looking for to fill their roster with youngsters and give them a real shot. Maybe they did figured he didn't factor in to their mix, but certainly Washington jumped up and grabbed him for a fifth round pick in the 2019 draft. I like this move for the Washington Capitals, low risk and uh, possibly a decent reward here. Absolutely. Couldn't, uh, couldn't, uh, agree more with you here. Uh, kind of befuddling for, for Montreal. I think, uh, you know, as you said, it's, it's a time in a rebuild where you'd expect them to be going younger. Um, they obviously didn't do that with this move. Uh, it's certainly not like Jerebic's carrying some sort of huge, uh, contract that they were trying to shed or something like that. So, uh, kind of a, a befuddling move, but, uh, you know, good, good business by the, the capitals. 
And uh, next up, we're going to go to the fact that a couple of goalies were swapped in a deal. Darcy Kemper going to Arizona from L.A. in exchange for Scott Wedgwood and Tobias Reeder. You know, last year we talked about Reeder, A.J., as a guy who should be a top six player, particularly in, in a thin lineup like Arizona. But things kind of went south for him. So that's one aspect of the deal that was intriguing for me because I think there's some talent there. But I look at the goaltending read here on Darcy Kemper. He's had a pretty decent year as a backup but boy heading into the season he was very injury plagued and it was a really spotty record that he carried in to things but uh, Arizona didn't waste any time in re, uh, in signing him to an extension and a pretty nice pretty nice raise for for this journeyman goalie I'm I'm thinking this is not a great move for Arizona long term well I think it speaks a lot to to what they're thinking about anti-ranta um, the fact that they you know brought in somebody who can compete and has shown you know a little bit of uh you know competitive nature to him hasn't really ever gotten a shot as a number one um so it'll be interesting to see next year how these two kind of shake out and and battle for for starts because i do think it's definitely going to be um a, a knockdown drag out brawl between these two to see who can be the number one there and then Florida... Figuratively I think, speaking, of course. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, Florida uh, up next with Boston in a minor deal. They pick up winger Frank Vetrano from the Bruins for a 2018 third-round pick. Look, the Bruins were trying to upgrade things offensively, and I think that's what this move was about, clearing some space. Uh, but uh, Bo- Florida picks up a nice piece. Vetrano was a guy who fit into the third line of the Bruins for long stretches of this season could be an upgrade it should be an upgrade on the forward ranks for florida uh you don't see division rivals make too many deals but we did see some yesterday and in previous days so uh, i think a good move for florida here to picking up another serviceable forward who should bolster their offensive mix and uh, really that cost them a third round pick not uh, not too bad in terms of the currency that went the other way well, we have our first disagreement here, Paul. I, I think the the Panthers got fleeced on this one. Uh, Vetrano just hasn't been able to crack the lineup in Boston, and, and there's a reason for that. Uh, you know, in 15-16 in the AHL, he put up 55 points in 36 games. Tremendous numbers. Hasn't even sniffed that uh, at this point. In fact, he's only played uh, as a season high, only played 44 games last year, uh, has only gotten in on 25 this year, now has dealt with some injuries. So obviously that's a factor as well. Um, but I, I don't think uh, he's really lived up to expectations. And I think Boston knew it. Uh, to your point, a third round pick isn't going to you know change uh, you know the the future of the franchise necessarily um, but i do think it's probably too big of a price tag and i, and I think boston uh, pulled one pulled the wool over the eyes of florida on this one and uh, up next another uh, one of the bigger names on the board uh, for the rangers they talked about cleaning house and they got rid of a few pieces yesterday we'll get into more of them but the, the first one to go was michael grabner in the first ever trade between new jersey and the new york rangers in the history of both clubs i was surprised to see that but then hey toronto and montreal pulled off a deal too didn't they uh, so <laughs> uh, new jersey gets michael grabner from the rangers for a 2018 second pick and defenseman prospect igor rikoff yeah, I think what's interesting uh, for me about this is the potential here for uh, for Rikov. Uh, looking at his numbers this season, 
14 points in 51 games uh, in the KHL uh, has a plus a 13 uh, plus minus rating. So I think that's really helpful. Obviously his doesn't have a huge scoring touch. You'd expect if he was an offensive minded guy, you'd see that number bigger, but I'm encouraged by the plus minus. Obviously their scouts have taken a more extensive look than, than we can here. Uh, and so I think the Rangers get exactly what they're looking for, uh, you know, in part ways with, with Grabner, uh, New Jersey obviously gets a solid player. So a good deal on both sides. Uh, but I'm really, uh, interested to see what the, the Russian, uh, defenseman can bring to this club in the future. Then your favorite t- club got busy, AJ. I'm really anxious to hear what you have to say about the biggest deal that they pulled off. It looks like they get Derek Broussard to fill in that third center spot. Boy, that one, two, three in the middle of the ice. Very imposing as we look forward. They also got uh, prospect Vincent Dunn, a forward, and a 2018 third pick from Ottawa for defenseman Ian Cole. Goalie pro- top goalie prospect Philip Gustafsson a 2018 first and a 2019 third round pick that's a lot of people and parts moving in this one but certainly Broussard the big piece and opponents of the Penguins must be going look at this man what, what are we <laughs> going to do against those centers yeah I mean the the interesting thing here is you know you it, the goal for the Penguins it was all season long to fill out that center role uh, on most teams, Derek Broussard's easily a second line center, possibly even th- uh, first line on a couple of clubs. And so to have him as, as kind of your third line guy uh, for now, it looks like he'll probably pair up with Phil Kessel. Uh, hopefully those two can really click and, and get going well. So it's a great pickup for Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, Ian Cole is a player. I love a huge piece of the, you know, two uh, last two Stanley cup titles uh, and a, a well-liked uh, locker room guy, uh, but obviously they brought in Alessiak early in the year. They have met Hunwick, who was brought in at the start of the season, and I really like Chad Ruedel, a, a younger guy. So parting with Cole, uh, not a big loss in, in my opinion, given what else we have on the team. And then obviously Philip Gustafsson, a, a nice goalie prospect. But when you when you're starting netminders, only 23, uh, and his backup uh, Casey DeSmith is 26. Tristan Jari is uh, 22. Gustafsson was never going to see the ice for us. So it was only a matter of time, whether we traded him now or later. Uh, so it didn't really matter. And as far as giving up picks, uh, the penguins are win. Now we're, we're win now until Crosby and Malkin retire to, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, and that should probably hopefully be, you know, several years off. And so to part with picks, I don't think is a huge deal. Uh, and so overall, I like the move. I think it'll really help us and and gives us a real good chance to to get number three here. No question about that. For the Ottawa side, I really like this deal in terms of them getting a top goalie prospect. They got a couple of guys who are getting long in the tooth at the net mining position. So I think that was a real key for them in addition to the couple of high picks that they did grab. And of course, uh, Cole was not long for the Ottawa situation, as we'll find out. Uh, Another move that Pittsburgh made, they got Tobias Lindbergh from Las Vegas for winger Ryan Reeves and a 2018 fourth round pick. Another factor in this trade, though, and a key in terms of the salary cap was that Las Vegas agreed to retain 40% of Broussard's remaining contract this season. So it kind of tied to the previous one and give the Penguins the flexibility to pull this uh, transaction off to get Broussard into the fold. So these two trades were linked. I'm going to tell you, I like the the fact that Pittsburgh picked up Tobias Lindbergh 
gives them very good insurance at forward. I was impressed with this guy's cup of coffee that he had in Toronto. Saw a lot <laughs> of skill in this player. And uh, really, seriously, AJ, I, I think he's a skill guy who would benefit from playing on any of the top three lines in Pittsburgh should an opportunity arise. So a sneaky pick there that's kind of below the radar on most people's uh, viewpoints. But certainly, I think that was a smart move to get him. All it cost him was Ryan Reeves, a physical force, uh, that physicality and policeman-type role, not as big a deal in the NHL, the modern NHL, so they could afford to let him go. And uh, certainly the fourth-round pick is just a little bit more currency. So an interesting trade uh, with salary cap implications there, but I wonder what you think about it, too. Well, I, I, I think this is good business for the Penguins. Obviously, it was the only way uh, to make the Broussard deal. And so to give up Ryan Reeves, yes, you lose that physical presence. Um, but we do have Tom Kunako, who's getting healthy. Uh, he's very uh, physical player himself and can maybe fill in in that role. Again, draft picks going the other way, I'm not really concerned about. Uh, and to your point, Lindbergh, a great pickup. I, I think this is actually really good business on the part of Vegas. Uh, they've got a ton of cal- uh, salary cap space. Uh, even after all of yesterday's deals, uh, they're sitting uh, with about $6 million in, in projected cap space here. And so to take on a contract, uh, you get an extra pick. And we've seen them stockpile picks for much of, of the year. Now, obviously, that changed a little bit with, with another deal that we'll talk about down the road and that you talked to, to Jimmy about. Um, but they still have a combined uh, eight picks in the first two rounds in the next three drafts. Uh, and so that's a ton of options there. Obviously, this was a fourth rounder, uh, so a little bit later. Um, but I think it's good business by them. They had the space to take on a portion of this contract. It's it's this year and next year, so it's not going to hurt them in terms of salary cap. And, and I think uh, really impressed by uh, George McPhee making this deal and, and finding a way to get some additional pieces as they build for the future beyond just building for this year as, as good as the team has been. Now we get to uh, a deal that I look at with uh, Spocky and I. The Islanders get Brandon Davidson on defense from Edmonton for a 2019 third round pick. Look, the Islanders need a lot of help on the blue line. And if they think they're going to make the playoffs and make a big splash, they they took a they dipped their toe in in the, the trade deadline situation, but Brandon Davidson to me isn't really going to help matters. AJ, this is uh, I don't even know why they did such a move like this to cost them a third round pick. Well, I I actually think I don't hate the signing of Brandon Davidson. Uh, you know I don't know what other options and deals they had out there, um, but they needed to do something, right? The the blue line has been so. Uh, terrible. Now, some of it's been the goaltending, obviously, is a problem as well. But to lead the league uh, in goals per, per game and uh, goals allowed per game at, at several points during the season, I think, speaks to what they needed. Um, certainly adding Brandon Davidson can't hurt. Right. At this point, the, the blue line is so leaky and giving up so many shots per game. It can't hurt them in any way. Uh, would would I've liked to see them maybe make a bigger deal, maybe go after, uh, you know, McDonough or uh, or make a harder push for Carlson, something like that. Possibly. But for the price tag that they were clearly willing to give up, I don't think it's a terrible piece of business. Uh, We'll see how it shakes out for him. But the blue line can't be any worse. (laughs) And then we get back to the Atlantic Division with a couple of deals. The Boston Bruins get Rick Nash from the Rangers for wing for forwards Spooner and Bolesky. Defenseman prospect Ryan Lindgren, a 2018 first and a 2019 seventh pick. I think the Rangers made out like bandits here, getting a big haul for a winger who has only shown flashes of his former skill set. 
Uh, I saw him play his first game against Buffalo. He was largely invisible, despite, they said, getting four or five shots on goal. Didn't really have an impact on that game, a game that the Bruins lost, actually, against the low-hanging uh, fruit that is the Buffalo Sabres right now. But I like what the Rangers did here, A.J., picking up Spooner. Uh, Bolesky is a contract dump uh, by the Bruins. But uh, Spooner, an interesting piece here, and Ryan Lindgren as well. And they also get a first-round pick in 2018 for uh, an expiring contract. That's a great return. Uh, uh, what do you think of it from both sides here? Uh, I, I definitely like what Boston is doing. Again, uh, a win-now team. Rick Nash is a fantastic piece. I think it will really help them uh, bolster uh, an already you know, somewhat impressive uh, front six uh, and, and it'll really help them kind of, you know, push, it'll push other guys down to bottom six roles that were previously in top six roles and really help give them depth, which is something I think they've been missing. Marchant, Bergeron, Pasternak has pretty much been it for much of the season. David Backus hasn't really done much. Uh, DeBrusque has shown flashes. So I think it really, uh, will help them on the flip side. This is a huge haul. Uh, for the Rangers. I love the picking up of picks here. The 2019 seventh round pick is like a toss in, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, but to get an extra first round pick uh, next year, this is another team as part of a rebuild that has really, really stockpiled uh, some top end picks. Uh, we'll get into a little bit more of that down the road with their blockbuster deal. Um, but they're looking at three first round picks right now in 2018. That's huge for rebuilding and retooling this team around guys like Sabinajad uh, and, and uh, you know, a couple other young guys that they have. Then uh, the Maple Leafs got into the act, AJ, and made their only big deal of the day uh, in terms of the last day of the trade deadline. They picked up Thomas Placanic and the forward prospect Kyle Bond, incidentally the grandson of Leaf grade Bobby Bond from Montreal as the old rivals got together on a deal here. The Canadians picked up defenseman prospect Renat Valiev, and forward prospect Kirby Reichel from the Leafs. Neither one of these guys fits into the top 10 prospect list of the Maple Leafs, but they also gave up a 2018 second-round pick for a guy who's going to fit uh, in Placanitz into their fourth line and may even be pressed into third-line minutes depending on div- individual matchups. I can imagine if the Leafs play the Bruins in the playoffs, you'll see a lot of Placanitz against uh, the Bergeron-Marchand uh, line. I saw a clip yesterday of Brad Marchand being interviewed and he said he said he absolutely hates Thomas Pulkanitz more than any one player in the NHL <laughs> well that's interesting because I think there's a long list of players in the NHL who hate Brad Marchand more than anybody <laughs> in the hockey world so uh, it would be really cool to see these guys go head to head in albeit with Pulkanitz in a different uniform a nice pickup by the Leafs here I'll say an upgrade over Dominic Moore it's interesting that they made this move uh, a couple of days after I saw Moore's last game likely uh, in a Leaf uniform he didn't look very effective uh, and I think that helped them pull the trigger. I know it's a fourth line situation. You don't expect many minutes, but Placanitz will help them in the shorthanded role too. So this might be a fourth liner that plays upwards of 10 to 12 minutes a game. And he still has a bit of a scoring touch. So don't sleep on Placanitz in Toronto. I think it was a wise move by the Maple Leafs here. Well, I think it fits into the recipe for success that we've seen out of the Penguins the last two years. Uh, if you're stacked down the middle, you're hard to compete against. Uh, now Matthews is out right now, but as soon as you get him back, you're looking at a, a potential five uh, decent centermen here in, in Matthews, Kadri, Nylander, Bozak, and Placanic. Obviously, somebody's going to have to move to the wing, uh, which will really help with the depth there. I, I would guess it's Willie Nylander, although, Paul, you can probably speak to that more. Um, but I really think 
It's a great pickup by Toronto. Uh, you know, the obvious concern is that it's a rental, right? And there's already talk that Placanic's going to re-sign with Montreal uh, next season. If if you really think you can win now, then rentals are fine. Um, I'm not sold that the the Maple Leafs can make that deep of a run where a rental is was really worth it. Um, but you know, I, I can obviously be proven wrong. They want to show their fans that that they're right there on the cusp. And so, uh, if they if they win the Stanley Cup this year, this Placanic deal will be a crucial part of that uh, that run. And you know what? At the end of the recap of the trades, we're going to go through a list of uh, contending teams and, and see where they stack up and talk about the potential playoff matchups. Uh, we, it's fun to speculate that. But let's go through the rest of these deals. AJ, there were some more, more, more notable names. One other guy that got traded twice, Mark Letestu, uh, goes from Nashville. Uh, Edmonton, sorry, rather, traded Letestu to Nashville for Pontus Aberg. Then they flipped him in Nashville to Columbus for a fourth round pick in the 2018 draft. So uh, Letestu was told to hold tight there. Don't just pack your bags uh, for Canada yet. Uh, And there were a couple moves in his uh, day yesterday. Yeah, I I think uh, the key here, you know, Nashville didn't really need uh, Letestu here. So um, to get him, you know, for basically they're getting Pontus Aberg for, for a fourth round pick. Uh, I think that's a little low. I I've liked, uh, everything from Aberg's game. It's been a little stagnant of late. Um, but they're also kind of stacked with other options there. So clearly, uh, they just didn't see it working out. Obviously, Philip Forsberg, Kevin Fiala, Victor Arvison, just to name a few guys. Uh, they made another move to get an additional winger that, again, we'll talk about that down the road. So uh, I just don't see, uh, you know, potentially there just wasn't a spot for Aberg. So a fourth round pick is, is certainly fine. I think they could have done better, uh, gotten something else. But obviously with the signing of Mike Fisher, the last thing Nashville really needed right now was another centerman. So as soon as this trade was made, uh, you knew he was going to be flipped uh, for something. Uh, as far as Columbus goes, I think it's a good uh, additional depth piece. You know, they've kind of needed some help uh, outside of, you know, in the forward uh, area and kind of getting more depth. They've relied on a lot of uh, guys who have spent some time in the AHL this year to really bolster their lineup. And so getting a guy like Lutestu, I think will really help uh, for their postseason chances. Then uh, Nashville basically improved their goalie depth. Uh, they got uh, Troy Grosnick, uh, goalie from San Jose, and they also got forward Brandon Bolig, uh, and it cost them a six-round pick. I like this in terms of goalie insurance for Nashville. I wonder what the the mix will be next year. You certainly know who the number one guy is going to be there in Rene, but I wonder if Grosnick presses for the second-line role here, and they have some opportunity to move their current backup. So maybe this is a move with a bit of a longer term viewpoint in it for the Predators. Uh, otherwise, I was kind of curious to see what San Jose was up to, another contending team, but they made, made a big splash later in the day. What do you think about this deal? Uh, a little confusing to me, to be totally honest with you. Um, from the San Jose standpoint, I'm not really sure why they felt they needed to to get rid of uh, these guys. You know, Bullig uh, is not like he carries a big cap hit or anything like that. He'll be a UFA next year, so if they really want to let him walk. I mean, I guess it's better to get something for nothing. Um, you know, the other op- obvious p- part of this is that Aaron Dell has really developed while him and Martin Jones are both just 28 years old. Uh, so I think that could be part of it that they just didn't see where Grosick was going to fit in. Um, but ultimately I just think a six round pick is a little bit too low, uh, 
uh, in my opinion, for the return on investment here from a Nashville standpoint, I think it's a good deal. I mean, it's never going to hurt you uh, to add some more depth pieces when you have the space. Uh, you know, their, their goaltending situation in the AHL is a little thin. Um, you know, they have obviously Rene and uh, Soros in, in the NHL here. But outside of that, you know, they really just had Anders Limbach, who was going to be a UFA next year. Uh, and so not a lot of uh, development pieces, in my opinion, uh, sitting down there. Now, I know you were a fan of Ian Cole, but he might become public enemy number one for you when you realize that Columbus got him from Ottawa for uh, forward prospect Nick Moutre and a third pick in 2020. Cole knows the ins and outs of the Pittsburgh Penguins operation, AJ. And I'm wondering if this was a, a move for future reconnaissance by Columbus, if you will, in a kind of a spy versus spy uh, uh, <laughs> backdrop. So uh, Cole, an interesting pick from that standpoint, but also a pretty quality defender. And you add him to the Columbus defense. They've got a pretty solid back end without him, but it gets stronger with his inclusion. So there's a lot of reasons for me to like this pickup on Columbus's behalf. Yeah, I absolutely agree uh, with that call, uh, Paul. So, I mean, Cole, uh, again, has been a, a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Penguins, has that experience, that playoff uh, you know, mentality. It looked, honestly, earlier in the, the day, it looked like this was a way for Columbus to move Jack Johnson and kind of bolster that blue line. They obviously decided not to do that. It'll be interesting to see what this means uh, the rest of the way as far as the team goes and, and what they decide to do with him. Uh, you know, Johnson uh, is a great player and really, I think, could have uh, brought back a, a good return on investment. But he obviously carries a pretty significant cap hit, which is a concern. He'll be a UFA after the year uh, ends. And so maybe this is just future consideration, although Cole also will be an unrestricted free agent after the year ends. So I would expect only one of these guys to be back uh, after this season. All right, and then up next, Nashville's at it again. They get Ryan Hartman at a 2018 fifth rounder from Chicago for the Hawks' uh, 2018 first and fourth, and a prospect Victor Edsel. Yeah, this was just a huge haul for for Hartman, uh, and I'll be I'll be perfectly blunt. I, I think it was way too much. <laughs> uh, you know, decent uh, decent numbers. Hartman's by no means a bad player. Uh, but through 57 games this year, he's only got eight goals and 17 assists. Uh, that's just not enough to warrant, uh, you know, a, a huge uh, a first round pick, you know, a fourth rounder plus a prospect. Now, obviously, uh, they got a, a fifth round pack. So, you know, call it what it is, a, a flop for the fourth for the fifth. So really, you're looking at Hartman for a first round in, in the prospect. I think it's way too big of a price tag. Uh, good on good on Chicago for making this move. Uh, they haven't had the, the opportunity or the need really to retool for a long time. So they're stocking picks, and, and I think that's good for them. But Nashville really reached on this one, in my opinion, and overpaid. Yeah, there were a couple of first-rounders that moved. You don't see that. You haven't seen that volume of first-rounders being dealt. But we saw a few yesterday, and another one was St. Louis. When this deal went down, I let out a gasp. My wife, my wife said, are you okay? I, I, I couldn't believe that St. Louis would move Paul Stastny. Uh, there they go. They send him to Winnipeg, and they get a 2018 first-rounder, a forward prospect, Eric, forward, Eric Foley, and a conditional fourth-rounder in, in 2020. So I was very surprised that Paul Stassi was moved out of St. Louis, a team that was one point out of a playoff spot yesterday, but they've been 
flagging lately. They lost about six games in a row, so maybe the management team thought that uh, Sand was running out of the hourglass here for a veteran core, and they moved one piece to get a pretty nice return when you think about it. But boy, Winnipeg looks pretty strong now all of a sudden, even stronger than before, one of the powers in the West. For me, this was the big trade of the day. Now, uh, obviously, a lot of that had to do with the fact that it really did come out of left field. Paul Stassi's name, uh, we did not mention him uh, during last week's show. There wasn't really a lot of talk that he would move. And I think part of that had to do with the fact that he had a full no trade clause. Uh, so he had to approve this move. Uh, a decent business by, by St. Louis to, to get uh, a really nice return on investment here. Uh, for him and they got a ton of pieces and so from that standpoint i think it's a good move he's an unrestricted free agent next year so obviously uh you know they wanted to get something uh for him rather than losing him uh but from the winnipeg side this is a huge huge pickup for them uh you know it now brings uh, you're now looking at a second line of Nikolai Ehlers, Paul Stastny, and Patrick Laine uh, as a second line. That's a first line on almost any other team in the NHL right now. Uh, and it you know gives them additional depth down from there. Brian Little has done a, a decent job being that second line center. Now he gets to move to the third line. Uh, I, I absolutely love this move by both sides. Uh, and really, I think, was the trade of the day. Well, and another one that could be a contender for that status, a third straight deal where we saw a number one a draft pick move, a 2019 first rounder and a conditional fourth in 2020, moving from San Jose to Buffalo in exchange for enigmatic winger Evander Kane. He moves to San Jose. Can you imagine his reception in the locker room? I think Joe Thornton is going to grab him by the neck and say, buddy, you got to get serious here. We think you're a great talent and you'll fit in only if you give it your best A1 effort. I think he's going to get a a rude awakening here if he does anything less than that. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how a pretty talented player fits into the San Jose mix if he gives it his all or he just continues to pussyfoot around and and find ways to not uh, play to his potential. Look, uh, the more we heard about this trade all day, uh, the worse and worse it honestly got. Uh, the, the first round pick is conditional on whether or not he, uh, re-signs with yeah. the team. Uh, and I think more likely than not, if he doesn't, it, it drops down to a second round pick at right. best. Uh, Daniel Reagan is, is a decent prospect. I honestly feel like this was a little bit of kowtowing to Jack Eichel, uh, bringing in his former line mate from, from college there. Uh, and so more and more I, I hear about this deal. I don't like it now. Obviously, maybe there just wasn't the market there. You know, we don't know what the you know what was going on in the war room there. But for for how highly touted, uh, you know, and how much his name was out there as as the trade piece uh, for this uh, you know deadline, Evander Kane's haul was really pretty minimal. Uh, you know, compare it exactly to the Statsny deal. You're looking at a, an absolute first round pick. Uh, a prospect in Foley and a conditional same conditional fourth round in 2020. So, I mean, these picks uh, you really can compare very well. Now Reagan might be a slightly better prospect than Foley, uh, but to get a firm first round pick versus one that'll probably turn into a second. uh, I really don't like this deal from Buffalo's side. And I think a lot of it probably has to do to your point about Evander Kane's uh, off Uh, off-ice issues. Yeah, the attitude needs to change, and uh, we'll be watching that one very closely to see if it does down the stretch, because he looks like he's going to be in the playoffs where uh, 
week ago. It sure, lo- sure looked like he was playing out the string. Then we have a couple of trades where veterans move to contending clubs from teams that are on the outside looking in. So these ones also run kind of in parallel. The Islanders send Jason Chimera to Anaheim for Chris Wagner, and Vancouver sends Thomas Vanek to Columbus for UC Jokinen and Tyler Mott. What your comment on these deals, AJ? Uh, I mean, the the first one, the Islanders Anaheim flop, I think is just, uh, you know, moving a little bit of cap money around, uh, you know, the Islanders save a little bit. They're obviously going to have to figure something out in the off season to, to keep, uh, you know, Tavares around. So I think the more cap space they can have, the better. Uh, so we'll just call that a, a one for one flop there. As far as Vanek, I can't wait to see what happens. I would love to be a fly on the wall. The first meeting between Thomas Vanek and John Tortorella. Uh, that's <laughs> not a coach that's going to take, uh, you know, a guy, you know, Vanek has historically, you know, kind of given up on plays. Now I've defended him a lot on this show, especially last year. I still think he can be a top talent. So maybe it works out well for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, on the other side, just real quick, Paul, UC Jokinen uh, was waived. Uh, yes. Uh, Sunday. Anyway, he was on the outs. So I think uh, a good deal for both sides, but yeah, the Vanek Tortorella uh, contrast is, is going to be interesting. Now, Jimmy gave us his take on the Tatar deal to Vegas, a big haul for Detroit in that one. The wings now have 10 picks in the top three rounds of the next two drafts. So sitting pretty there uh, to restock the shelves in Detroit. I'll ask you to comment on that one. Uh, think the Detroit made out like bandits here. Yeah, absolutely. I think a good deal for, for both sides though. Uh, you know, the, the Vegas has been stockpiling picks. They had plenty to spare. Uh, they're not giving up more than one pick in any, uh, any in particular draft is 2018, 2019 and 2021. Uh, so a good deal by both sides. And, uh, I think great business for, for everybody. Yeah, Jimmy gave us a pretty good handle on that one. But another big trade today, there was a bidding war. Apparently Toronto was in on the McDonough talks too. But look what the Rangers did here. They moved, not only got rid of McDonough, and, but they also gave JT Miller up to Tampa. And they get back uh, Nemesnikov, a top six uh, likelihood with the Rangers when he slots in there. At 2018 first, a conditional second, forward prospect Brett Howden and defense pro- prospect Libor Hajek. So Rangers again pulling in a lot of resources, but it cost them two quality players. And uh, I think Tampa is really looking like the odds-on favorite now after this deal. Yeah, I love the move from their standpoint uh, as a as a win-now team. Uh, JT Miller, I, I don't think JT Miller is quite as good, in my opinion, uh, as uh, Nemesnikov. So I think they had to give up a little there. Uh, obviously, Nemesnikov was playing first line for them. Miller was more of a third-line guy for, for uh the Rangers. So I don't think there's a one for one swap there. Uh, McDonough should bolster their blue line. They've talked about the struggles that team has had defensively all season long. I think he should really help. Uh, On the flip side, the Rangers continue to haul in pieces. Uh, We talked about the fact that they've got three first round picks next season. They shed a ton of cap in this about 5.5 million uh, combined between, you know, sending McDonough and Miller and taking back Nemestikov. So, uh, again, another deal that I think works for both sides based on where they are. The Rangers are looking at a rebuild. They're heavy sellers right now. Uh, Tampa Bay is trying to win a cup this year. So good, good deals all around. Yeah. And the Penguins look like another team that's 
bent on winning that third one. Like you said, they added another for veteran forward in Josh Juris from Carolina for Greg McCaig, a guy who was having trouble, trouble holding on to a roster spot there for Pittsburgh. So again, Pittsburgh bolsters their forward complement with a depth piece uh, who has moved up and down the, the lineup in Calgary in the past and Carolina as well. So interesting to see where, where he fits in here going forward for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I, I think this was a pretty even swap. You look at the guys, their their contract hits are about the same. Uh, they're roughly about the same age. Uh, I look at this honestly as a as a way for uh, Jim Rutherford to get a guy that he really liked. Uh, you know, uh, he was with Carolina a while back, uh, and so I think he just brought in an extra piece. I don't, uh, you know, Joris is already down in the AHL. I don't see this being a a long term uh, swap. You know. I, I don't see this factoring in too much in the postseason here, barring injury. Uh, so I think just a, a little bit of a tweak on, on some depth options. Then uh, Edmonton shook things up. They got rid of a big body, Patrick Maroon. I've always liked this guy, AJ, and he's had some nice runs on top lines elsewhere, including a stint with Connor McDavid. But things kind of soured for him, and he was really hotly uh, rumored to be moving. New Jersey gets him for a third-round pick in 2018. I think this could be a pretty good deal for the for the Devils to add a little more size. He's pretty quick too for a big man. I like the addition for uh, for New Jersey with this with this move. Uh, I wonder what you think about it too. Absolutely agree. I, I don't think they gave up too much to get a player uh, who's kind of just been having a rough season, to be totally honest with you. I think what's interesting here is that it seems like the Oilers and Devils must just have each other on speed dial when it comes to making trades, uh, you know, having made the, the Taylor Hall move previously. Uh, but yeah, a, a good pickup. Uh, I think Edmonton probably could have gotten a little bit more for him if his season had been going a little bit better. Um, but given his struggles, I think they got the best that they could out of him. AJ, this was a day for the buyers and seller, as the sellers simply didn't create a bidding war on enough of the pending UFAs. There's a ton more still out there. But which of the teams do you think really helped themselves out here? Well, I think you have to look at, obviously, the Flyers um, needed a goaltender. And so they got that uh, that piece in, in Mrazek. Uh, I think Pittsburgh, obviously, bringing in Derek Broussard, they're you know, looking great. Uh, in that uh, in that standpoint, Columbus is in a competitive metropolitan, and I like those moves as well. Uh, Tampa Bay gets some pieces. Obviously, you know, I, I don't think uh, I don't think Toronto did enough, really. I think some blue line help would have been uh, a good here, especially when you have Tampa making some big moves. Boston made some really uh, decent uh, acquisitions as well. And so I think Toronto could be in a little bit of trouble. I think Placanic just wasn't enough. I talked about the Jets getting the, the best piece of the draft uh, or making the best move of the draft. Nashville obviously got a few additional pieces, although no huge changes for them other than Mike Fisher. Uh, and finally, Golden Knights trying to really cement their run here uh, by bringing in uh, Tatar, I think, is a good move. The Sharks got Kane on the flip side, so that'll make that a little bit more competitive as well. So uh, those are the teams that I think really helped themselves today. Yeah, and you're speaking of the, all the contending teams on both sides of the NHL, and I agree with you exactly. Uh, the powers in the Atlantic Division, look, three of those teams are in the top six in the NHL. It's going to be a crying shame that two of them are going to be gone after the second round of the playoffs, but that's such is the way the format goes in, the, in terms of the playoff. I don't want to see them ever change it to, to a seeding thing i like the idea that they want to tra create a few rivalries here so even though uh, the leafs may figure out to be on the long end of this i don't mind the way the thing is set up but i do 
credit these teams for recognizing that win now is a real opportunity for all of them, including Las Vegas, which is maybe the greatest story I've seen in sports in many, many years. But uh, they loaded up, and boy, oh boy, it just makes me... Uh, start to drool almost at the prospect of what could happen in the latter rounds of these playoffs but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to see how it all shakes down aj we have been supported by FanDuel all year long let's talk about our experience with FanDuel play uh, you've talked about some of the extra uh, developments in terms of the stacking possibilities and the mini stacks and and the 25 cent games that are out there really a chance for for people to to have some fun with picking teams every day and really not spending a lot of money and a chance to win win big if you get the right uh, right lineup it's it's more fun to me than plunking down five dollars and buying a lottery ticket i'd rather play a game like this and be engaged for an entire evening and really get some fun out of it good bang for the buck i think at FanDuel. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I normally have uh, avoided some of the uh, the satellite contests, but decided to jump in on a couple of them today. Uh, that is what I used um, the lineup that we'll go through in in a satellite to, to win a ticket to a bigger contest. Uh, contest. It's just kind of fun, you know, for, you know, basically for 10 cents. Yes, you have to be in like the top three uh, in the contest I entered. But, you know, you put a lineup or two out there and just see what sticks. Uh, you know, if you lose it, it's 10 cents. It's not the end of the world. If you win, you know, then you can uh, put a little more research in, get a nice lineup ready for, for that bigger haul. Uh, so some great options. Of course, they also have, you know, the 50-50s that I really like, the multipliers as well. Uh, you know, and it, it's you got to tailor your lineups differently. If you're entering one of those 10 cents contents where you got to be in the top three, you got to take a flyer on guys. Whereas if you're in a 50 50, you know, you look at just kind of the consistent contributors and try and be a little more even and steady just to get in the top half. So uh, different strategies, different contests, different price points, uh, everything you could want. And I'm really been enjoying it. And listen, folks, there's been millions of people that have won cash prizes playing on FanDuel. And AJ highlighted, you don't have to spend a lot. You can spend a dime. You can spend a nickel and, and just enjoy the experience of competing. And with the chance that you could win something, it's it's pretty cool. And uh, we are grateful that such an en- enterprise exists in the fantasy sports space. So we remind our listeners to take advantage of the special offer for new users. Sign up today at FanDuel.com slash RW. Of course, these contests are void where prohibited. Let's get into our uh, FanDuel DFS segment, AJ. Why don't you run through uh, the first half of tonight's schedule, and I'll take the latter point portion. Absolutely. So start off 7 o'clock, you got the Hurricanes at Boston. Uh, Bruins heavy favorites in this one, minus 200. Obviously, we talked about their retooling. Uh, they're looking really strong right now. You got the Devils at Pittsburgh at 7 o'clock. A little bit of concern here. Uh, Murray uh, may have picked up an injury yesterday in practice. Uh, Sounds like he took a puck uh, off off the helmet there. Obviously, he's had concussions in the past. So a little bit of concern on what might shake out there. If you're going to take the Penguins, you're going to want to know, is it Murray? Is it DeSmith? What's going on there? Uh, Senators at Washington, 7 o'clock. Got the Capitals again, a heavy favorite, minus 195. I'd expect Philip Grubauer in that one since Hopi went last night. Uh, Mike Condon is getting the start for Ottawa. That's already confirmed. Paul's Maple Leafs will travel to Florida at 730 to face the Panthers. Uh, again, uh, you know, some interesting uh, storylines here with the Placanic edition. Uh, Panthers didn't really do much. Their lineup will look much the same. And then at 8 o'clock, you got the Blues at Minnesota, the Wild, minus 145 in this one. Uh, and a lot of that probably has to do with the Blues parting with one of their key uh, top six contributors there. 
And in the nightcaps, uh, there's the Predators and Winnipeg. For our money, I think we agree that these are the two best teams in the Western Conference outside of Las Vegas, AJ. So they go head-to-head in Winnipeg. Uh, tough call there to pick to handicap this one. I think both teams are really, really great. So I'm staying away from them in terms of a goalie pick, I think. And then uh, up next, you got the, the Cowboy-type teams of the NHL, the, the Calgary Flames Canada's version against the Dallas Stars, the... Uh, the American version of the cowboy motif. So that's the backdrop there for an 8.30 start. And then on the second of back-to-backs, a rare back-to-back situation where teams play each other on the second consecutive night. The Kings winning in overtime last night. They travel to Vegas for the uh, the return engagement. Uh, two teams that I hope will meet in the playoffs. This would be a meeting of speed versus toughness and, and size. And with the return of Jeff Carter, it makes the Kings a much more formidable foe as the Vegas Knights found out last night. And then rounding out the schedule, the Edmonton Oilers travel to San Jose. I don't think Evander Kane's going to get there in time for that one, so uh, the Sharks will wait for his debut, but uh, an interesting matchup there. Uh, I think the Oilers are in a little bit over their head against one of the better home teams uh, on the schedule uh, tonight. AJ, those are the games that grab my attention, the Predators and Winnipeg and Kings and Vegas. What other games might be attractive for you tonight? Well, you highlighted the key, obviously, at Nashville and Winnipeg. Um, I, I actually will probably tune in a little bit to the, to the Maple Leafs and uh, at Florida, uh, just kind of seeing how Toronto looks, uh, you know, whether Placanic plays or not. Uh, Matthews obviously being out is an intriguing storyline, whether the Leafs can hang with, you know, Boston and, and, uh, and Tampa Bay right now. Uh, they're not going to drop out of no lower than third. That, that division's pretty much locked up already. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. So that's the, the other game that I'll kind of keep an eye on. Other than obviously the Penguins, I'll be watching that one for sure. (laughs) It's kind of remarkable, AJ, when you look at the games played here, Boston has five games in hand on the Maple Leafs. They've actually fallen behind the Maple Leafs in the standings, two points behind, and they've got a whole whack of games coming up. So I I know it's five games in hand, but I wonder if the Bruins are going to be banged up at the end of this stint where they play about 16 games in 30 days in March, it seems. So that that could catch up to you. And and we saw maybe the impact, too, in Tampa of a similar schedule, even though they're playing a lot of games at home. They got a couple of guys banged up in last night's hockey game as well. The biggest news there is Nikita Kucherov, though what we're hearing is that he may suit up uh, in their next game uh, tonight, in, in fact. So let's see what happens there. But be wary of a busy schedule and don't just uh, count those games in hand as wins because you still have to play them. And uh, at this late stage in the season, in close proximity, there are no gimmies. Yeah, absolutely. A, a great uh, a great call by you, Paul. And, and we'll see how it shakes out. But yeah, the heavy workload could really affect Boston. All right, let's go through our lineups for tonight's games. AJ, why don't you tell us what your particular lineup looks like? All right, so for me, uh, I, you know, I try to, uh, you know, look for a goalie savings. I always build my lineup goalie out. And I just haven't been comfortable paying the high price tag uh, lately uh, for some of those top guys. Tuka Rask at 9,100 is obviously an appealing uh, matchup with with Carolina. So for me, uh, I like Philip Grubauer for 8,000 against uh, Ottawa tonight, uh, getting the second half of the back to back. Uh, that's likely it's not confirmed yet, obviously, if they decide to do something weird and go hopey both ways off to make a change. But I started there with Grubauer at 8000 Now saving a little bit, it allows me to spend up on a guy like Evgeny Melkin for 9200 
He's the highest uh, price tag guy out there, and there's a reason for that. You look at what he's done lately. He's got three goals in his last three games, has a point in every game since it uh, looks like the last time he didn't have a point was January 23rd. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, February 11th against St. Louis. He was held off the score sheet there too. So for the most part, the guy's always scoring uh, and scoring multiple points. I think he's huge. Paul Statsny, 5,400 uh, to play with Winnipeg tonight. Again, now if he doesn't make it in time or has some other issues where he can't play, I'll obviously change that up. But to get a se- uh, the Jets' second-line center uh, for just 5,400, I think, is an absolute steal. I'll uh, go for wingers. I'll pair up with his potential linemate, Patrick Line, 7,600. Uh, I get that these guys are going up against Nashville, but their offense has just been so good lately. And I think Patrick Line, or uh, sorry, Paul Statsny will really infuse some help there. I'll go with Line even if Statsny doesn't play. He's been really good of late. Uh, I'm going to stick with Winnipeg and go with Kyle Connor. 5,800. I continue to push him all the time, uh, but his price tag remains so low. He's getting top line minutes. It's just too good to pass up on for me. Uh, Similar situation, Brian Russ, 5,100 for Pittsburgh. Uh, Decent matchup against New Jersey. Uh, They're still uh, without Corey Schneider, although he might be getting close to returning. Uh, And he's playing with Sidney Crosby on that top line. So a nice pickup there. And then Michael Grabner, who you talked about, is only 4,500. Uh, again, there's a lot of situations to watch. Uh, daily lineups are going to be tricky today. Uh, you have to see if guys are playing on these new teams. So uh, Grabner's another one, but if he's going to play at 4,500, I think he's a good price tag. Uh, you know, and Pittsburgh may be without Murray tonight, and that would make uh, the Devils even more appealing. Defensively, uh, Dion Phaneuf looked really good last night, really contributed well. Uh, he's just 4,900 going up against Vegas in, in the back-to-back uh, I, I think he's been playing well with his new club and I like what he can offer at such a low price price tag, uh, going even lower. I'm going to go with Mark Edward Vlasic for 4,400. Uh, the matchup there with Edmonton is a good one for me. Uh, his numbers have been uh, a little bit down of late, but he's a guy that blocks a lot of shots, uh, does a decent job getting shots. I'd like to see it higher, but for 4,400, uh, he really gets you some ancillary stats. So if you can catch him on a night where he picks up an assist, I think he can really help bolster your lineup. Uh, so that's how I shook it out again. As I said, Philip Grubauer uh, in goal at 8,000. So that's what I did tonight with my lineup. Paul, how did you uh, break yours down? Well, central to the way I made my lineup was the fact that I really think the bottom has fallen out of the St. Louis situation. So I went with a Minnesota stack from the net out, AJ, because I think that uh, the move of losing Stastny on the heels of a six-game losing streak, I guess their heads can't be focused with with that backdrop. So I think, and also Minnesota, a very tough out at home. So that was central to my thinking. I'll go from the goalie out, picking Devin Dubnik in that regard, $8,800. And then I went with a tandem on the blue line from Minnesota as well in Matt Dumba and Ryan Suter. Uh, they are priced at $4,700, $5,600 respectively. A little bit higher in some that I normally spend, but both these guys are central to the offense that starts typically from the blue line here. So that's why I doubled down there looking for a big night from the homestanding wild. And then up front, I picked a couple of penguins, AJ. I love the mix that your team has at center ice and a couple of their lesser lights on the wing, including a very happy Patrick Hornquist, who signed a multi-year deal yesterday at $6,100. I think that he's got to be excited about the contract extension and the fact that he's locked up in a great situation in Pittsburgh for years to come. I think he plays with a little bit extra motivation first night after getting his pockets filled. And then Carl Haglin is a guy who's really scored very, very well in the 
second half of the year after missing much of the first half of the season. Kind of an unheralded uh, scorer, but really his product- productivity has been there as a depth piece for, for the Penguins, getting some extra time on the power play as well. So I like to pair those veterans up and uh, in my lineup, and I also match them up with another Minnesota Wild, Michael Grandland, who has been uh, a kind of an under-the-radar under consistent scorer all year long, my most expensive forward at $7,300, pairing him with Alexander Radulov, who's hot again for Dallas and playing on that top line against a uh, Calgary team that's a little bit suspect in goal as long as Mike Smith is on the sideline, in my estimation. And then at center, I start off with Jeff Carter, who uh, will create some difficulty for the Vegas Knights uh, now that he's back in the fold, priced at only $6,000. That price tag reflects the fact that he hasn't had many reps this year coming off the injury list finally to get back in the situation in L.A., but I like him as a, a steady offensive producer, gets lots of shots on goal, and I think is central to anything that they'll do offensively in L.A. They want to make a statement by sweeping this back-to-back, and he'll be a big reason why they have a shot. And then I put in uh, David Krejci. He'll benefit from the fact that Rick Nash is now riding on his uh, wing, and uh, it's uh, hoped by the Bruins that they can continue to be a second line that uh, produces to take some of the pressure off the best line in hockey, in my opinion, that number one line with Bergeron. So that's my unit, and uh, I'm curious to see what the uh, optimizer picks tonight too, AJ. Why don't you lead us through that? Yeah, so uh, as I've said in the last couple of weeks, I really like to start the lineup optimizer. Uh, just start with the base one. Uh, and then in the event that it is pairing up any players uh, against the projected uh, goalie, I like to remove those guys from the lineup. So uh, for me, it starts uh, the optimizer liked Connor Hellubuck tonight. Again, I think it's a little bit of a risky play, but it is uh, a home stand for them. And so I think that obviously helps. Uh, Connor Hellebuck coming in at 8,300. So a little bit of a lower price point for him. Uh, And then to go from there, it's got Alexander Barkov, 7,300 at center. Lars Eller, 4,000 at center. Uh, uh, Both decent. uh, Barkov, obviously a tough matchup with Toronto, but Eller, Washington is facing Ottawa. Uh, That should be a good one for them. uh, Similarly, that's why the optimizer likes Alexander Ovechkin tonight. Uh, 8,900, big price tag for him, but again, a, a huge matchup there. Uh, going down the, the wingers here, Kyle Palmieri of the Devils, 5,900 against Pittsburgh. Uh, with the goaltending situation in question, it's not a bad play potentially to use some Devils tonight. Matthew Peralt for Winnipeg, uh, another one, 4,500. He's really produced despite a third-line assignment, has put up some numbers, gets power play minutes, and so a nice add at that low price tag. The, the steal and low cost guy here for the optimizers redeem vibrata uh, of the panthers for 3100 it's not a pick i love but at such a low tag you're getting a second line guy who's playing on the power play and so uh, it might be uh, one that i would use uh, in more of a gpp kind of contest you know that that riskier play i'm not sure i would use vibrata in a 50 50 defensively a couple of uh, a big Big guys here. The optimizer likes Brent Burns, 7,200. The matchup with Edmonton, I think, is a decent one. So the price point isn't outrageous, in my opinion. And then Dustin Bufflin for Winnipeg again, uh, 5,700, a a low cost here on him. Uh, His numbers haven't been as good as they were last year for the most part, but still a decent producer. And like I said, Connor Hallibuck in goal, 8,300. So uh, that's what the optimizer shook out as once I, uh, like I said, uh, saw Hallibuck was the netminder I wanted to use, and then I took all the Nashville players out there. Yeah, that's a great point because you don't want to be competing against yourself here. You want to max out otherwise. So great call by you there, AJ. Let's get into the start of the week. I went to the 
top scorers list, and I found a couple of veterans at the top of the board. I'm going to give the nod to Eric Stahl, AJ, for Minnesota. Four goals and three assists on in four games last week. We talk of so many very young players that we lose sometimes sight of veterans who ramp up their game at this time of the year. Certainly, uh, the game has become one where we got 18, 19, 20-year-olds really starring right out of the shoot. But there's still time to, uh, and, and room for some of the veterans who uh, have kind of revitalized themselves, and nobody fits that bill more than Eric Stahl. He's given Minnesota a very strong center presence paired with Miko Koivu and put together his best two seasons since the strike-shortened 2012-13 campaign. That's not bad for a guy who's 33 years old. And right behind him, I could have mentioned even Ryan Getzlaff was another name in contention as a top scorer last week, and he's 32 years old. So a nod to the older guys in a week where I got a year older myself. <laughs> you and me both, brother. Um, I, I do want to just mention, uh, since you brought up Eric Stahl, uh, hearts go out to their family in general. Jordan Stahl, uh, his uh, young daughter passed away. He's obviously away from the team for a while. Uh, that obviously affects his brother, Eric, as well. And so just uh, our hearts and, and thoughts and prayers go out to the entire Stahl family during this time, uh, but especially Jordan and, and his wife as, as they deal with this situation. Very uh, important statement by you, and I echo those sentiments exactly. I can't imagine what they must be going through, so really I echo your thoughts. Well said there, A.G. In terms of the rent uh, rant of the week, uh, Pavel Datsuk makes the grade here. Maybe some people are wondering why. I'll spell it out for you folks. Winning this Olympic hockey gold medal was more meaningful than all my Stanley Cups. Really? Who are you kidding, guy? The sum of the NHL points scored by any other team that you faced in that tournament didn't add up to even your own career. So that's got to be—that's a bunch of garbage for me. I get that you're happy for the win, but the cup wins were best on best, and that simply was not the case in the Olympics. And we talked about that uh, in forecasting this event. In fact, the Olympic athletes of Russia club, they had a huge advantage heading into this tournament because they got to pick from a real nice pool of players. Well, the NHL was uh, struck from that and uh, other teams were at a bit of a disadvantage as well. So no surprise at all the Russian team won, but a big surprise that a, a veteran guy like Datsuk comes out with a statement like this. I'm telling him a little perspective, please, and let's cut out the propaganda, shall we? Yeah, I... I I had to chuckle myself, you know, the the first time the, the Russian club actually wins one since, you know, about, uh, I, I think, late 70s, 76, probably, I think was the last time they won one, although I could be wrong on that. Um, but it's been a while. And the first time they do it, they do it without Alexander Ovechkin. Uh, just kind of an interesting point. Uh, take it for what it is. Um, but, uh, you know, no Malkin either on that club. Obviously, he, he plays for them as well. But it's just very interesting to me uh, that the Russians finally won one uh, without uh, kind of their, their all-star uh, player. Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, best on best, we miss that And on the world stage. I hope that the NHL finds a way to work with the IOC and get this thing straightened out. I'd love to see the best on best. Let's get back to a World Cup kind of tournament somewhere down the line, AJ. But right now, it kind of takes the starch out of the Olympic hockey for me. And I was more intrigued on the women's side as we discussed that last week for sure. Yeah, me as well, especially with the big win over Canada. I uh, won't uh, pass up a chance. If, if you are going to open the door, I'll at least rub it in a little bit here. Uh, a great game all around by, by both teams. 
uh, really enjoyable to watch, uh, you know, but obviously the outcome for me, a little bit better than the outcome for you. So uh, love seeing that and a great tournament. And to your point, best on best in women's hockey is what we got. Best on best in men's hockey is absolutely not what we got. Uh, And quick, your point about the World Cup. I think that's why we aren't seeing the NHL and the Olympics. They can cash in more on that uh, preseason World Cup tournament. All right, and that wraps it up for this week's podcast with Statsman and AJ. We want to thank Jimmy DeVolano, Senior VP uh, of the Detroit Red Wings, for joining us and lending his insight to the trade deadline from their point of view. Remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJSholes24. That's A-J-S-C-H. OLZ24. We hope you enjoyed this show and circle back to get more roster news, injury news, and other topical news from around the NHL when we convene next Wednesday, March the 7th, for the next episode of Podcast, because on Tuesday I'll be traveling again. We'll talk about that aspect a little more next week, but nothing else changes, so you'll still get all the latest news and our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy contest. So long, everybody. (laughs) 